University of New England is embarking on a bold new mission to transform the university's decommissioned boiler house into a purpose-built discovery space. Here, on Curiosity Built the Boiler House, we'll follow the transformation of this 1950s industrial building into a regional science-themed play space. Along the way, we'll also chat with leading experts in education, play-space design, and all things STEAM about what makes for an incredible discovery space experience. I'm Dr. James O'Henlon, and for this episode, I chatted with Lorian Parker, the founder and director of Science Play Kids. I think it's to show people that science has value outside of being a scientist. I think it's to show people that through science experiences and science-based activities and science conversations, you learn other valuable skills. It's about having kind of like a STEM mindset as opposed to a STEM skill set. And a STEM mindset is is questioning and investigating and exploring and drawing conclusions. And I think they are extremely useful skills regardless of where you're going to end up later in life. Science Play Kids is a science education and outreach business based in Melbourne, Victoria, that runs workshops and events dedicated to showing people that science is everywhere around us and accessible to anyone. If you try and, I mean, if you said to an adult, we can't create energy, energy exists, it's always existed, it's just transformed from one type to another and one thing to another, they just look at you blankly. And if you said that to a kid, they'd really look at you blankly. So in order to demonstrate that, like, you know, we get food colouring in a fidget spinner and the fidget spinner's still and I push the fidget spinner and I've transferred my kinetic energy into the fidget spinner and it has kinetic energy. And then we squeeze food colouring on the fidget spinner and the food colouring sprays out and creates this amazing artwork, but it's transferred its kinetic energy to liquid. And so it's just, it's it's taking something that's really visual and really tactile and really colourful and wet and super exciting um, and and taking a, a complicated science concept and putting it in a more accessible manner. And so if I go into a classroom, I know if I take um, catapults or pom-pom poppers or um anything that involves stuff flying through the air or anything that involves, I know if I take Play-Doh into a classroom of preps ones and twos and everybody gets a ball of Play-Doh, I can talk about forces, right? Because I know they love Play-Doh and they'll all engage in Play-Doh. And if you give them plastic knife too, and so then you talk about a force is something that makes um, an object change shape. So everybody um, squish your Play-Doh, see how it's changing shape. You're pushing. Everybody twist your Play-Doh and you're pushing forward with one hand and pulling back with another, that's using force, a push and a pull is force, and it's changing shape. So all these actions we do, and by the end, they're like, they move it. And I say, so what did you do? And they say, used force. And, you know, they're in because it's Play-Doh. So it's taking objects and toys and situations that the children are already familiar with and already relate to and will already have um, memories created around that experience that then you can tie information to and I think that is a really successful method of helping them learn stuff but also retain and recall things. I would like to be able to help educators to create 
um, situations where they can have inclusive and accessible science conversations without having a science background. I would like to help them be confident to put it into their classroom regularly without fearing it, without thinking of it as a, a separate a separate world. I want to change that view and I want to show people that or want to show people how successful I've been in engaging kids and parents and just people in science by approaching it the way that I do and um, I just want everyone to love science. (laughs) Through their workshops, Science Play Kids teaches that science is an inherently creative pursuit and by blending science with art and play, they can further make science accessible to people who wouldn't usually take an interest in science. You know, I think... As a society, we separate science from all the other subjects. We separate science from sport. We separate science from art. And we separate science um, from music, whereas science is in all of those things. Those things exist because of that. You know, you, you could have a science conversation every single time you did art and um, talk about textures and talk about properties of materials and talk about shapes. You could just – there are so many things. And same with sport, you know. The basis of a lot of the sport, if you look all the way, if you look really closely, it's, it's, it's physics and it's, it's science. And I think what we've got to do is mash all that back in and, and, and add all that creative stuff back to science and, and join it back up with everything instead of having as a separate standalone subject because it's not. And it's just, it's, it's everywhere. It's in everything. And I think the other thing about the creative side is, that's where you engage a lot of kids that aren't, I don't, I don't like saying academically inclined, um, but that, that tend to learn via reading and writing and kind of get that, understand stuff probably a little bit faster because they can take information in that way. But if you present it in a creative way, all those other kids that may have missed that opportunity will often grab onto it and explore it. A lot of classes I run, I present them with a real-life situation or scenario, um, and then we kind of make a model of it, but the model doesn't have to be a particular way. So you invite them, okay, so uh, we talked about um, water and properties of water and how it moves and how gravity pulls it down and then I gave them heaps of miniature pipes and this big board that had holes in it and lots of tubes and I said okay pretend that you are designing all the pipes that are underground um then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some water and you put it in one end and see if you can get it to come out the other end but however you design it and wherever it's located in the world and whatever kind of universe you want to build it in go for it. And they came up with amazing, amazing things. When we did a a space class, they made their own um, satellite, you know, their own space probe. And that was really just to have conversations about the kind of things you might need, um, technologies and what you would do if you're going to go out into space. What's your purpose? What do you want to see? And then they made them and we added lights and we turned, we added sounds and beepers and we turned all the lights off. And I said, you guys, now you have to 
give your space probe a name and I want you to report back to Earth. And all at once, you know, 30 kids in the room going, hello, I am space probe mysterious and I have landed on planet Mars and sucked up some samples and I found life and it's got five eyes. Like the stuff they would come up with is spectacular. And they just, I think they remember it more if you give them a creative license to explore stuff their way. Before starting Science Play Kids, Lorian worked as a research scientist. Her research looked at how we could improve the treatment of cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. In our, in our human body, we've got this fabulous protein. Um, we're, we're mostly made of proteins and bits and pieces and proteins do all these fabulous things. And this protein is a detoxification protein and it's supposed to do good things. So anything that comes into your body that you don't want, it it gets rid of, it detoxifies it and, it, and it and it gets excreted from your body. However, this protein would recognize cancer chemotherapy drugs as foreign and it would detoxify them. So when we give chemotherapy treatment, um, we believe a lot of that chemotherapy treatment was being mopped up by this protein. And that meant that, you know, in treatment, you have to give really high doses um, because not much is making it to the target target cancer cells and um, when we increase the doses we end up with a whole lot of really horrible nasty side effects so we were trying to work out if there was a way that we could inhibit this protein block it from doing this um, mopping up of all the chemotherapy drug we'd be able to administer much smaller amounts and um, spare those undergoing treatment from all the disgusting horrible experience side effects that are associated with chemotherapy treatment. Despite a lifelong love of science and the work that she did as a research scientist, being a professional scientist is a tough path to follow, and the competitive research environment here in Australia needlessly pushes a lot of good scientists out of their chosen fields. It's pretty hard. I mean, especially in Australia, our, our funding for science is not huge, and it, it's really competitive. So I was in a lab with eight other postdocs, and we were all competing for the same grant. And maybe one of us would be successful, um, but most likely none of us would. And so your next year usually depends on whether you get a grant. And so you are constantly trying to prove yourself and trying to get these results. And that means you're working, you know, 16 hours to stay in the lab, to get the result, to write the paper, to get the next grant. And that's, it's horrendously stressful. I know so many people that um, have moved out of academia because of mental health. When I started, I was going to have my own team. I was going to be head of a lab. I was going to do all of that kind of stuff. And I went to Japan to do a postdoc. Um, was supposed to just be two years and ended up staying for four. And during that time, I think I saw different ways to approach science research and just kind of got a whole lot of different life experience and so when I came back I suppose maybe my foot was a little bit out the door but I was willing to give it an give it another chance because I loved it I mean I loved it but when I came back and it was more competitive in Japan it wasn't as competitive um, there were opportunities and there was quite a large amount of funding and they do it very differently but then to come back here and just be in an environment where you're competing against the people you're sitting in a room with is pretty challenging. 
The personal challenges that came with following a career in medical research helped Lorian realize that her passion for science could be better applied elsewhere. I wanted to know what it was like transitioning from a career in research to a career as a small business owner and how she started Science Play Kids in the first place. I, I had my second child and on maternity leave is where kind of most of the 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 creating happened and then I went back to work for about a year back to research and I just most of my time doing that research I wanted to be doing science by kids and that's I think that was that was for me just if, if I'm not going to give research the love that it deserves and the attention and you know being a postdoc is hard it's competitive there's just um it's a lot of time and it's a real commitment and I just, I, I couldn't give it that anymore. So I just jumped headfirst into the deep end, had no idea. I've got no business experience. I had no social media, no, no, no finance experience, no nothing, just a passion for science and a, and a huge drive to, to kind of share that with people. Um, so I started just by um, hiring space, getting you know, bits and pieces of science equipment and telling all my friends to bring their kids in. And um, that I was still working as a researcher at the time, so I kind of did it on the side and it got real popular real quick. So I had to kind of give it a bit more attention if I wanted to, to grow it and, and that's when I left research and it kind of it developed. I couldn't keep, I, can't, I still can't keep up with it. Yes, I would never go back to research. Although I suppose that's kind of what I do a lot of now. I find myself reading just as many papers, um, but they're mostly about um, child development and, um, you know, sensory approaches and engagement for children and science curriculum and all sorts of stuff. Um, I still love that. I love reading. I love taking in information and working out what to do with it. Lorian's transition from being a research scientist so starting her own company, doing kids' science workshops, happened around the same time that she had her own children. I wanted to know whether having her own kids inspired her new career direction, and whether this life experience has guided her in bringing science to her local community. Oh, I think 100%. I think just seeing that and then talking to other friends that had kids that were usually a little bit... A lot of my friends have kids that are a couple of years older and asking what kind of science they did in kinder and what kind of science they did in primary school and just getting a feed, you know, feedback from them saying, oh, not really much. They probably do a couple of weeks a year. And I was like, what? You know, science is in everything. It's everywhere. How are they not doing science every week? This is crazy. They're missing so many opportunities just to engage and to, oh, to just incorporate so much fun and so much play into education through science and STEM concepts um, and that 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 just I think that was a driving factor to be like I'm gonna I'm gonna make a change here I'm gonna yeah make this my mission and I watched as my kids grew older and I and I watched the way they interact with the world and when I kind of introduced science concepts and did little science experiences with them um, they really engaged and so that took me a little bit away from my research and more into um, how to involve um, children and I suppose everybody in more science conversations more often. My daughter's seven and ages ago she's like, oh, we haven't done any science today. And I was like, are you kidding me? We've done a 100 scientific things in the first 10 minutes we got up. And she's like, give me an example. 
And I was like, well, you pushed your eyes open and that was a force. And then you sat up using your stomach muscles and you, your body moved like a lever and then you stepped onto the ground. And in order to walk, you use forces, you use gravity, you're using friction on your feet so you don't slip over. We got into the shower, we used water and dried your hair, which is, you know, evaporation. And she was like, what? And we, we cooked and that was chemistry and, you know, electricity with the fridge. And she was just like, oh, my gosh. And she's seven. So, you know, to, to, I think most people don't realize it's just, it is everywhere and in everything. And when something doesn't work or when something happens, if you can pause and be like, okay, so what was the science that contributed to that outcome? You can often work out what the problem was or solve whatever it is that you're experiencing. I don't know. I, I just think, I think people don't realize there is so much science in so many things and that it's not a really big, scary, complex, boring <laughs> monster. That science is amazing and it's so much fun and, yeah, it's everything. It's in everywhere, everywhere in everything. Having gone from being Dr. Lorian Parker, conducting research in a lab, to Dr. Loz, running workshops for kids, I wanted to know what it's been like for Lorian going through this change of persona. Are Dr. Lorian Parker and Dr. Loz the same person? I don't know. I don't know. I um. I think. I think before Dr. Loz was Dr. Loz. I think it was. Uh, as I said, I I'm I'm spectrumy, and I I didn't I didn't love being in front of people I wasn't familiar with. Um, but as Dr. Loz, man, you know. Lab coat on. I'm, I'm, I'm all over it. I love it. The kids love it. The parents laugh. I don't know if they're laughing with me or at me, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> but it just, I just get so much joy from having those conversations and setting up that interaction and that, that exploration space for kids and just watching their response blows my mind and I just feed off it. It's, it's amazing. I think I have something different to offer because I don't have the education background. I would, Never say that I know how to teach better than a teacher because, I mean, kudos to them and hats off. They have the hardest job in the world engaging children for that many hours a day and such a range of children. But I think sometimes when you do an education degree and you get stuck in the system, you can miss opportunities that someone outside of that can see. And I think that's why I am able to pass on information is because I don't have to unlearn how to teach. And I think, um, I think if I, I've, I've had four years in the classroom now with my incursions and going into schools. So, so I've been there and I see how hard it is and I see how little time they have and I see how under-resourced teachers are and educators are. Um, but I think I can, approach it from where I do because I don't have an education background. Unfortunately, science and science communication are often viewed as two separate fields. We need more actual scientists out there in communities teaching people about science. I asked Lorian why there aren't more people like her out there, and why it's important that we have real scientists out there engaging with the public. I don't know. When I did uni, I never did science comms. That wasn't a that wasn't offered when I did my undergraduate. And to this day, I don't know why it hasn't always been part of a science degree because it's so important. But maybe we just don't talk about it enough. Maybe we 
we don't talk about our research enough outside of our own science world. And I think that's a huge problem. And I think that's, you know, why everybody loves Dr. Carl and why, you know, there are, there are people like that because they talk about science um, to the general public and I don't think we do enough of it. Um, so maybe we just don't know enough about our own people doing the rad stuff they do. And I think that's why I connect quite well because I'm, I'm not playing a role. I'm being who I am and, you know, a real, you know, a real scientist in inverted commas doesn't have to be someone that sits in a lab and pipettes stuff. There is such a huge variation in the term scientist and, and, and I think sharing that with kids and we talk about engineers and the people that, you know, that, that do this and, and do that and build those things and are outside in in the field collecting spiders and doing stuff like broadening their view of what a scientist is. Because I, I still think I still consider myself a scientist even if I'm not in the lab anymore. Everyone that knows me was really shocked that I made that kind of drastic change because it's not in my personality to like change <laughs> or to not have things planned. I really struggle with that. So I don't know. I think science is hard to get out of because often you feel like you don't have any other options. Whereas I think scientists maybe don't realize how many skills that they have that are transferable to other, other situations and other occupations and that they really could probably do really well in whatever they're passionate about. I say scientists ask questions and find answers. That's the definition of a scientist. And that's what I tell all the children in the classroom. And I still know that I ask questions and I find answers. So I think um, anyone that leaves science, if you're still curious and you're still investigating and you're still exploring and you're still researching in, in whatever field it is, you're still, you're still a scientist. I think our definition is slightly incorrect. To find out more, visit scienceplaykids.com.au or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at scienceplaykids. This podcast is recorded on Anaiwan country and has been brought to you by the University of New England. To find out more about the Boilerhouse Discovery Space, visit uneboilerhouse.org.au. Thanks for listening. We'll see you here next time on Curiosity Built the Boilerhouse. Mm-hmm.